So our study, um, a lot of the material that you have here is something that I did some study in when I was speaking at a ladies' conference in Minnesota a year or so ago. And the verse that kind of struck me and some uh, commentators say is one of the themes of the book is uh, Titus 1.5, where Paul said to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. And that, that phrase just caught my attention, putting things in order. And isn't that something that as women we strive for, we love? It's a quest. You may have said to your children at some point, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. But it's funny, when my kids were little, um, when I would find a Lego brick, and usually that happened when I stepped on it, and I could remember when I picked it up, oh, I know which set this goes in. And then I would go find the set and put it in there. I would just feel this sense of oh, peace, order. Didn't last very long, but you know, you feel that momentarily. But these, the sense of peace we get sometimes is short-lived. It doesn't depend on what we have. When my husband was in seminary, um, and you have this in your notes, so um, we had some friends there. We were in the Washington, D.C. area, and we lived in an apartment complex. And there was a couple there, Charlie and Denise. They had five kids. And Denise did not have fancy stuff. She had a dining set she'd inherited from her grandmother. Their couch and their chairs were worn through and I got such a sense of peace every time I walked into her apartment because five kids and everything was always in order. She did not love to cook, but she loved order and cleaning. And it was good for me because I, at that point in my life, I kept thinking, oh man, if only I had a better space, if only I had different furniture, if only I had this and that. And it was a lesson for me because I had to learn that order was much more about an internal thing than an external thing. So what we're going to do right now is do some background. Um, and it's important. I, some people think it's kind of dull. I think it's really kind of exciting to learn about who were the people that, the, um, that were the first hearers of this. Who were the people this was written to? Who are the people that were involved in this? And so the setting of this book is the island of Crete. Um, and I should have had a map for you all here, but I think you can, we can Google anything these days. So if you want to know what a map of Crete looks like, you can probably Google that. Um, but the island was about, um, well, is, I said was, um, it currently is um, about 270 miles long. And it had some very distinctive history. Um, the people there had um, a reputation in the world, and it wasn't a good one. Um, one author I read said that Cretans were called good sailors, skilled archers, and experts in ambush and lying. Well, what a reputation. Um, and the island was conquered and annexed by Rome in 67 BC. And then that phrase that you've probably heard that Paul says in verse 12 of Titus 1, 
He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And <laughs> in our day and age, we're like, whoa, that's pretty harsh. But the person that said that, the person he was quoting, was someone from Crete. So this is a really rough place that Paul was leaving Titus. And um, I want us to just think about that. Sometimes our lives are not what we expect them to be. They're rough. And, and I want us to learn tonight as we jump into that introduction that God provides. He will provide what we need when we need it. Even in just the, the verses, the words of the introduction, um, we were, we're going to learn that. So, but before we even get farther into that, we're talking about putting things in order. And where does disorder come from? Um, you know, back farther, um, and 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion or disorder, but of peace. And our God took a formless void and created the world. He put our planet perfectly in space, um, perfectly distant from the sun, created an amazing garden with um, all forms of plant life and animal life and created Adam and Eve. And everything wasn't just decently and in order, but it functioned perfectly. So what caused the disorder? The disorder was caused by sin. And um, Lucifer, the son of the morning, highest of the angels, was cast out of heaven. And then with his artful and crafty words, he came and tempted Adam and Eve. And Genesis 3, if you want to jump there uh, in, with, in your Bibles, um, or it's on page, I think, two or so of your notes. Um, in Genesis 3... After Adam and Eve um, have sinned, the story would be so hopeless, but God intervened in such an amazing way. Um, from this beautiful paradise to pain and death and sorrow now coming into the world, God gives them hope in Genesis 3, 14 to 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bru bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right here we have a foreshadowing of the salvation that God's going to provide. The heel of the one prophesied would be bruised, but the head of the serpent was going to be crushed. So this sin brought in, it was going to bring in physical death, but immediately spiritual death, separation from God. But interestingly enough, once Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked, what did they do? They tried to provide clothing for themselves with fig leaves. I have a friend who um, is part of the church in Lafayette, Indiana. They have a big counseling ministry and she was talking about this one time, talking about fig leaves. Have you ever touched a fig leaf? It's like sandpaper. And here they are making clothing on their delicate skin out of sandpaper. It, it's kind of ironic that when we try to do something and make something in place of what God has provided, it's always kind of like that, trying to use sandpaper. But in verse 21 of chapter 3, 
you see that God was the one that had to provide clothing. And Pat mentioned this on Sunday. Pastor Pat did. I have to tell you, it, it kind of amazes me. Every time I've ever taught, either the Sunday before or the Sunday after, he will say something that relates to what we just talked about. <laughs> it's amazing to me how God does that. But anyway, God had to provide clothing from those fig leaves were not going to do it. And God provided garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. Well, the only place he was going to get garments of skin was the death of an animal. It was going to have to give up its life to provide a covering. And it's interesting that that also is a foreshadowing of centuries later, the blood of the Savior that was prophesied would be shed so that we could be clothed in his righteousness and it would bring us back into a right relationship with God. All right. So without that foundational understanding, um, we're going to miss the point of salvation because generally speaking, as a people, we try to earn, don't we? I mean, life is kind of set up like that. You're going to get a promotion at work if you work hard and you earn it, right? Um, you're going to have to, and work is good. Um, I told my children that quite often. Work came before the fall. The bad part was connected to the fall. The hard part came. But God gave work before that. Work is good. But there's no way that we could work and earn our own salvation. It's God's plan and his gift. And I put in there in your notes some verses just because I wanted you to have those references because all of the word of God has the focus of God's plan of salvation. God's beginning, middle, and end, how he has put this together. Um, if you read Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is God's plan. This is God's will. And then Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's interesting right here. There's going to be kind of a theme going through this, and I'm not great at alliteration, but this is my attempt. Godliness before, or gospel before godliness. The gospel foundation that we just looked at has to be there before we talk about godly living. Because otherwise, when all we focus on is what we do and what needs to be done, suddenly we're in an earning, working kind of self-salvation mode. And we cannot save ourselves. And that is the good news that God has provided that. So... God's plan of salvation, you can see it traced throughout the entire Bible, but what we're going to focus on is this little book of Titus. And when we go through the beginning here, those foundations, uh, a lot of you have study Bibles. You can find a lot of this information right at the very beginning of your study Bible, but I want to encourage you, if you're going to look at that, just look at it for the, the where, when, what, that kind of thing, and then put it away until you've done your own reading and studying and thinking about the questions. And it's okay to not know. It's okay to read a question and go, what is she asking? I have no idea. That's okay. Think about it. 
pray about it. Write down your own questions. If something you read during the week has you bringing up more questions, you are free to scribble all over this workbook. It is yours. And in the very back, you will find uh, Titus chapters one through three printed out for you. So if you have thoughts that you don't want to scribble in your Bible, some people like to write in their Bibles. Some people don't. Um, I just got a brand new journaling Bible, which is meant to be written in. Haven't written in it yet. I am scared to start. Oh, what if I don't want to say that? So anyway, eventually we will get there. But this is free. You scribble all over it, write your notes, your questions. And um, so... With that foundation of understanding that God, salvation is God's plan, now we're looking at the Apostle Paul sending Titus to the island of Crete to work with these people. And a couple more things I wanted to point out to you about Crete. They claimed the Greek god Zeus was from their island. Um, in fact, some of their history or some of their legend said that Zeus was such an honored man that he was elevated to the position of a god. And when I read that, I thought, isn't that ironic that they thought that a man could be elevated to the position of a god when in reality, the true god, the one true god, humbled himself to come down and take on the form of a man in order to save us. Um, but they thought that Zeus was virtuous yet his character when you read mythology was of one who was a deceiver um, in fact one of the stories that was common in mythology about him was that he transformed himself into the image of a woman's husband in order to seduce her that is not very godly behavior um, in fact it's the epitome of lying and deception so now go back to titus chapter one and look at verses 1 and 2. And here's what Paul says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Isn't that interesting? Immediately he talks about the truth and about the true God who never lies. Paul knew where he was sending Titus, and he knew what he was going to have to undertake. And I want you to be encouraged that wherever you are and wherever God has you right now, that he is with you and he knows exactly where you are and exactly what you need. And um, I want us to look at, and you can look at if, if you, uh, what page is it on? Let me, I have different notes here. If you want to look at the characteristics of the two men here under the who, Paul, and I don't have a lot written um, about Paul. Most of us are familiar with him. He's not one of the original 12. Uh, we know in the New Testament, he was one who before his conversion persecuted the church and was dramatically converted on the Damascus Road. And then what did Pat talk about on Sunday? He gave us pretty much Paul's bio when he talked about all the things that he had done, all the, um, the earthly honors, the earthly status that he could have claimed, but he didn't. Um, because once he became a believer, none of that meant anything to him. 
but he was brought into fellowship with the church. And if you are, and you may not have read this or you may have heard uh, a sermon on this in Acts chapter nine, when Paul was blinded after his time on the Damascus road, and then God told um, Ananias, and there's more than one Ananias in the New Testament. So this is the one, not the one who lied and <laughs> died. <laughs> this is a different one. Um, but when he was told to go and to get Saul, his name hadn't been changed to Paul yet. Um, he was, um, are you sure? Do you know who this man is and what he's been doing? But um, he was told that, that Paul had been set aside for the gospel and he went and Paul was miraculously changed. And um, he spent time being taught by God in the desert. You can see that in Galatians 1. And then he introduces himself in this letter as a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. So before tonight and before um, looking at any of this material, how many of you knew much of anything about Titus other than that there was a book with his name on it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the, and he's in scripture quite a bit. So that's why I put all this information in here for you. So if you wanted to look up some of it, um, Paul calls him in verse four, my true child in a common faith. So he was probably converted uh, to Christ through Paul's ministry, similar to Timothy. He was a Gentile, and in Galatians 2.3, he's referred to as a Greek. He accompanied Paul to Jerusalem 14 years after Paul's first visit. And um, they think that there may have been, he may have been part of that test case when they, some of the believe it, Jewish believers were wanting to compel the Gentile believers to be circumcised. And uh, he was involved in that. He appears to have accompanied Paul on some of his travels. And then in 2 Corinthians 8.23, he calls Paul, uh, Titus his partner and co-worker in God's service. So he was a young man, and I'll let you guys read the rest of that um, on your own, but he was a young man who was faithful to God. He was trusted in ministry. Um, and another thing about his ministry there, there are some legends that say that he returned to Crete and was there until he was 93. There's no real evidence of that in scripture. But this uh, ministry that he had there was temporary. We don't know how long, but in 2 Timothy, Titus was with Paul in Rome and then eventually made his way to a place called Dalmatia, and there's like multiple places called Dalmatians, so we're Dalmatia, so we're not sure where that was. But I think the point of this, and the point of when you're reading your Bible, and you're coming across a lot of genealogies, I have come across, I don't know what's with my beginning of the year Bible reading, but it seems like every day I've got a genealogy to read, and sometimes we're like, oh my goodness, and then I thought one day, what does this tell you? These are real people. God is talking about real people. And every once in a while, as you're reading through these list of names, you will be amazed at some of the things that, that you find out about them. Um, I was reading a list of um, men, and then right in the midst of this <coughs> list of names, it talked about how they follow God with their whole heart. And that little phrase, with the whole heart, really stands out to me. Someday I want to do a study on that because if you've read through the Old Testament at all, there's a lot of kings who you'll read about them and then it says, and they follow the Lord 
but not with the whole heart. Or one or two kings, you will read, they followed the Lord with the whole heart. Um, things like that. But I, I want us to remember these are real people and this is real history. And so I want you to be encouraged as you read through this um, and as you study um, that you will be able to not just learn some things about people historically, but you're also going to learn some things that, um, you okay, Susan, we can get you some water. We can get you some water. It's okay. That hits me every once in a while at work. At least I'm not on the phone anymore. You get a tickle cough and you're trying to talk to somebody on the phone. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be focusing on this as studying not just historically, but as we read this God's word to real people at that time, this is also the very word of God. So it is for us and it is applicable for us. But before we try to apply it to ourselves and see how it changes us, we need to learn what it says and who it was written to. So that's what we're going to be doing um, in our time and what you'll be doing during the week. But what I'm going to do right now is we're going to um, turn the recording off here for a bit. We're going to go through and just walk through some of these, look up some of this scripture, talk about um, some of these passages and um, and then we're going to spend a little time praying. Yeah, yeah, a little time. So, okay.